Tomorrow's Mother's Day, a day to celebrate moms and all they do. But not any one relationship between a mother and child is the same. Good morning. I'm George Boracki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. This morning, we're talking about the role of mothers in our lives and in society. Coming up, you've heard of MoMA, but how about MOM, the Museum of Motherhood in Manhattan? It's a museum that talks about some of the history or her story of women's journey to the present day. We can touch on some of the more influential movements in the United States that have helped shape who we are and what our families look like. First this morning, we hear from four writers who joined forces to reflect on their relationships with their mothers in a book titled Still Here, Thinking of You, A Second Chance with Our Mothers. In the process of writing their stories, they uncovered new things about their moms and deepened their mutual relationships. Here in the studio, we have three of the four authors, Susan Hodera, Joan Potter, and Lori Topple. Joan, thank you so much for coming in. Oh, thanks so much for having us. It's a pleasure to be here. Susan, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. And Lori, welcome to you. Thank you. How did this all come together, you women getting together to write about your moms? Okay, well, it goes back to the late 90s when Laurie, Vicky, and I were students in a memoir workshop that Joan taught in Sleepy Hollow. And we, you know, we sort of stayed in touch. We happened to like each other's writing, and we liked Joan. And then uh, 2006, Joan and I had lunch occasionally, and we had lunch, and Joan expressed an interest in actually starting to write her own stories. And we discussed forming a group, and we invited Laurie and Vicky to join us. And we began meeting in my dining room every Thursday morning. And the idea then was to... Write, to have a support group for our, developing our own pro- writing projects. And we each had very different intentions with that. And then slowly, or maybe not so slowly, at one point a few months in, we noticed that we had all brought pieces about our mothers. And we didn't do it deliberately, but from there we sort of decided, we made a decision to, to create a project. And then that was what we worked on together. There's one more in your group, Vicki Adesso. Vicki Adesso, yes. that's right. And her mom is also passed. Yes. yes, yes. Do you find yourself having to be protective of your mothers when you're writing about them? You don't want to reveal too much, Susan? I wish Vicki were here to answer that. I know that she has expressed, um, in particular, concern about revealing things about her mother because she was very close to her mother and her mother was not there. So I think that came through in our writing group. We each responded to the other's stories in a way that I think maybe surprised ourselves, you know, that we, oh, okay, it's okay to say that, or, oh, that doesn't sound so bad, or, oh, my mother did the same thing. And, you know, so I think we, by being in a group together, our perceptions of our own mothers were altered. Joan? Well, what happened with me was after my mother died, very shortly after my mother died, which was in 1995, I felt I wanted to write about her, and I signed up for a memoir workshop. And I tried, and I had a wonderful instructor, and he said, I, you know, you're, I really like your writing, but you write as, as if your mother is looking over your shoulder. And I realized then I was trying to protect her, but she hadn't been dead very long. So, um, so I just let it go. Then... I received a tape from my sister who lives in California. She had recorded an interview with my mother for a women's issues course that my sister was taking, in which my mother 
told stories about her her life. There were many, many, I don't want to really get into this too deeply, many, many secrets in my mother's life. We always knew that these strange and tragic and frightening things had happened, but we, my sisters and I, but we didn't know what they were. We had little hints. Then I got, after my mother died, I got the tape, but I didn't want to listen to it because I was missed my mother, and I, I thought, I, I can't stand hearing her voice right now. So uh, several months went by, and finally I said, I've got to really face this. Then the secrets came out, the things that I maybe had dreaded learning about. To answer your question, since my mother had revealed herself on this tape and had told these secrets finally, even you know from the grave almost, I felt, okay, that's fine. I ha- you know, It'll be all right with her. And you share these secrets in, in your writing. Book. Yes. What is an example of one of the secrets your mom had? Well, she had a not a difficult relationship with my father, who was much older. Well, she was very mysterious about when they were married and where, and there were no pictures. Then they moved to my father's hometown, which is Tupper Lake, a very, very isolated town in the Adirondacks. And here was my mother who'd been living in the city, very young, 21 years old stuck there with my father's difficult family. And my father had had a rowdy life, and now he just wanted to stay home. She also revealed that her father had committed suicide, which we'd heard rumors of, but we didn't know. And she told about finding his body hanging when she was 15 years old. So those are a couple of examples. Lori, how much more do you feel that you know your mom now through this project than you did before? Do you understand her more than you did before just by simply putting your thoughts on paper? I do think I understand her more. I think that I needed to get to a point of sort of a tranquil place where I could understand her. That's why I had to wait to write about her. She was in a lot of pain. I don't think she ever expected to get divorced. She lost her sister. Her sister committed suicide at one point. And I think it was she came from England her whole family was still in England, except for a few brothers here. And I don't think she had too many people to confide in. And the closeness that we had with her as children, she hung on to that relationship in a negative way. It turned into wanting us to know how upset she was all the time and how frustrated she was and how absolutely impossible my father was being during the divorce proceedings. So I understand now that a lot of her anger came from pain, which as a, you know, as a teenager, you don't see that. You just see that she is really making my life incredibly difficult, not understanding mm-hmm. me. So it's not that unusual, but what did feel unusual was that I regained a lot of respect for her. Do you feel like you're communicating with her when you write about her, that you're in some ways talking to her, that this relationship is ongoing. She's passed, of course, but yet you still have a connection with her and you're able to communicate her through your writing. Without a doubt. I, I think we all feel that way. But I, I mean, I would hear her voice in my head and I would, in the writing, kind of address what she was telling me. You know, yes, I will. I will give you this chance. I will go there with you now. And I think we did all feel that way, which was a beautiful thing. And I think, I, I, I believe from what I hear that readers start to feel that way, too, that they, they're they re-engaging in a relationship even if their mother is no longer around. 
Susan, is your mom any more self-conscious about your relationship, afraid that you actually might write some things about her? I don't think so. I think, I, but in relation to the other question, this other conversation we've been having, um, because she's still around and she did read it, she actually did confront one of the, the chapters in my book in which I was pretty accusatory of her neglecting me and my needs when I was a teenager. And... Um, she emailed me and said, I just want you to know that I wasn't really neglecting you. It was a very difficult time in our family, and I was preoccupied. And um, and I, I sort of knew that, but of course, I, like Laurie said, as a teenager, you don't think that way. I mean, at this point in my family's life, my father was unemployed, and I was about to go to college, and you know, there was some stresses in that in the family that I just didn't want to have anything to do with. But... Um, she took the opportunity to to speak out and give her perspective on it. So that was very interesting. What is the story that you're most proud of in this book, Lori? I think I, I would say um, A Show of Affection, which is the last chapter, because it was a time that's extremely vivid in my mind. So it was recent, you know, the most recent. And also I was able to reconnect with my mother in a way that was just very relaxed for me and natural and it came at the end of her life but nonetheless it came I like taking that journey again as I reread it even though I'm very critical of all my chapters mm -hmm. as I reread them that one at least I have this I, I feel gratified Susan how about you? There's one chapter that's the longest chapter in my section which is called I Love You Still I'm proud of it because I found seg little sections of my mother's life that, that I observed throughout our, uh, throughout the whole sort of range of it, from my early childhood to her older age, and I was able to weave them together. And I don't know how I did that, but I, I was I, so I like that chapter. But I also like my last chapter, which I never read out loud because it involves singing, but it's just a small, uh, a small memory of a recent celebration with a lot of people where my mother, who always loved to sing and who was about 80 at the time, got up in front of this room full of 50 or 60 people and sang to everybody a song that she'd made up about my husband and I. And so mm. I just, I like, I like that memory, so I like that chapter. And we were there. That's right. Uh, John and Laura were invited, <laughs> and Vicky Which was is... invited, but Vicky didn't come because at that point in our friendship, we were a little, we were just starting the writer's group, and we were a little wary about crossing boundaries between writing and friendship. Joan? It's hard for me to say, to answer that question. There, there is, in, in our readings, there is one, I have, I have one chapter that turns out to be really funny. And that's a hit. And when I read it, there's a lot of laughter. And, and it's fun to, to read something and people are laughing. This is so great. Maybe I have a new career. So, I, you know, it's kind of fun. It shows my mother as her very independent self um, doing what she wants to do no matter what. And then I do – there is a, a longer one that was more difficult for me to write and that I don't read, maybe because it's long and maybe it's close. And – it involves the secrets that my mother told me, and uh, and I also try to you know weave them in so people can get, the reader can get a an image of my mother's really quite tragic childhood and not so happy adulthood either until my father died and she started really enjoying herself. 
Um, that one moves me, moves me the most, I think, because the last time I saw my mother in California, I mean, I visited her several times a year, we would, she'd love to drive down to Marina del Rey, and there's a, a walkway on the ocean. It's so beautiful. And she started to tell me something, and I just had this sense that it was going to be something that was going to be really difficult for me to hear. And I just, all these years of not hearing anything, I, I just couldn't, I just changed the subject. And I felt so horrible about that after she died. So the last paragraph of this piece reimagines us there together, but this time I listen to her, mm-hmm. and she tells her story, and then we're happy. Um, it's because that's what we all want to do. We want to reach back and pick the incidents when we hurt our mothers or said something we shouldn't have said and just redo it. I think probably everybody has that feeling. Hence, a second chance exactly. with our moms. Exactly. Yeah. It brings it full circle, doesn't right. it? Mm-hmm. What do you want the takeaway to be for people who pick up this book and read it, Joan? What we've learned from uh, the, these wonderful discussions that happen after our readings, everybody wants to talk about their mothers. I mean, people just become very intense um, in, in, in the, expressing the way they've been affected by even people who haven't read the book yet but have just heard our readings and then who are going to buy the book and read it. There's so much, there's this bond between mothers and daughters that uh, it, it never leaves. And um, even people, for people I know who had bad relationships with their mothers, a couple of people have, have written to me and said, I really had a terrible relation with my mother. I try never to think about her all my whole life. But now after reading the book, I, I'm beginning to understand her. I mean, this sounds kind of cliched, but it really keeps happening. Even people who didn't want to think about their mothers are kind of forced to after reading the book. But then they resolve things. They change their perceptions. To me, that's the most important thing, that, and because we see it happening. I'm thinking about my mother just talking to you, talking about your and mother. And you're getting teary-eyed. I am. See that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, the book is still here, Thinking of You, A Second Chance with Our Mothers. Susan, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you so much for having us. Joan, thank you. Thank you. Lori, thank you. Thank you. That was Susan Hodera, Joan Potter, and Lori Topple. They're the authors of Still Here, Thinking of You, A Second Chance with Our Mothers. It's out now from Big Table Publishing. You're tuned to Cityscape, right here on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm George Bodarki. On this Mother's Day edition of Cityscape, we're talking about the role mothers play in our lives and in society as a whole. Our next guest is the mother of three kids, but has also made a career out of helping new and expectant moms. I run a 24-7 full-service mommy concierge for pregnant women on the Upper East Side of Manhattan the home of what I like to call the million-dollar mama. 
That's maternity guru Rosie Pope. She's the star of Bravo's reality show, Pregnant in Heels. The show follows Rosie at her job as a maternity concierge for millionaire and celebrity parents. She's with us now on the phone to talk about the show and her maternity line and parent education studio. Rosie Pope, welcome to Cityscape. My pleasure. Now, you are a parenting guru, but once upon a time, you were studying neuroscience at Columbia University. When did you decide to go into the maternity business? Uh, It was actually my last year at Columbia, and I just, I sort of wasn't happy. I uh, knew that I wanted to start a family, and I got married while I was at university. So um, I sort of done that a little bit earlier than other people, and I really wanted to figure out a career that would allow me to have a, a child. So um, I sort of thrown around the idea of continuing and going to medical school, but it just didn't seem to really fit with what I wanted at that point. And um, my husband actually was the one that came up with the idea. Um, while I was researching away, doing nothing uh, related whatsoever to uh, maternity and parenting, he said, why don't I consider... Um, doing maternity design because I always made my own clothes during college. Um, you know, I didn't have a lot of money to shop myself and I'd always loved babies. So um, I actually took a break from school and I went to work at a store called Peanut Pot to learn all about the maternity industry and whether it was a good fit for me. Now, what items does Rosie Pope maternity line include? Uh, everything from diaper bags through to leggings and T-shirts all the way through to your um, you know, occasion dresses for baby showers and weddings. Now, I have to say that in the past, sometimes it looked like pregnant women were wearing maybe something like a circus tent. That is not what you have in your line. <laughs> that is not what we have, no. We hold the belief that you should be able to look exactly as you did before you were pregnant. You should be able to wear the same style clothes, uh, just fit obviously, a little bit differently to fit your new body. Pregnant in Heels is a reality show featuring your work as a maternity concierge for expecting millionaire parents. What do millionaire parents ask for? The same thing everybody else does. Everybody wants uh, peace of mind, uh, except my parents tend to sort of not quite get there immediately, and they have very outrageous requests from custom gowns in the delivery room to orgasmic births to crazy baby showers. But along the way, I always discover that it's the same problem everybody's having, and they're just they're anxious. They want to do the best job, and it manifests in different ways. Rosie, Pope Maternity also offers classes, mom prep prenatal and postpartum classes, right? Yes, it does. What do you teach specifically there? We teach a core curriculum that runs from uh, baby and infant CPR through to uh, childbirth education, which helps you understand everything that you might go through on your way to having your baby. And then Parenting 101, which teaches you all the little skills that you might not have um, in order to take care of your baby. And it's not that you're not going to be able to figure those skills out. It's just that when you have a newborn baby, you don't want to be worrying about how many times you should feed the baby or breastfeeding or, um, you know, when the baby's going to the bathroom or how to get the baby to sleep. And it just provides you with those tools so you can really enjoy those first weeks and months and not worry so much. How old are your kids, Rosie? I have a 4-year-old, a 2-year-old, and an 11-month-old. How much more do you know now? From when you had the How first baby. More? How much more than when you had the first baby, yeah. Infinitely more. If I think about myself in those first, you know, weeks and months, I, it really inspired me to do what I did because I was incredibly worried and I, I really knew nothing. And now, you know, it's obviously a constant process of learning, but I just have a lot more tools and um, 
I'm able to parent with a lot more confidence. What would you say is the number one piece of advice that you could offer to new parents today? Um, I think two things. I think to stay flexible. Uh, I think it's very, very hard to plan, and people are very insistent these days on wanting to plan a birth and have a birth plan and then plan what it's going to be like when you bring the baby home and then uh, plan when they're going to go back to work. And the thing is... uh, it's very hard to plan with children. You know, their schedules change. They're different types of personalities, and they require constantly changing um, strategies, if you like. So it's really important to stay flexible. And the second thing is to really get educated. The more knowledge you have, the more confidence you'll have, and the more you'll be able to enjoy your children. I meet clients every day that are so racked with anxiety over whether they fed their baby enough that day. And it's just so much better if you have the knowledge so that you can really enjoy every moment. I know that you recently came out with a book called Mommy IQ that you wrote with your doctor. What topics mm-hmm. are covered in that book? Um, it's a, the first in a series, and this one is the complete guide to pregnancy. So it covers getting pregnant all the way through to uh, the first 14 days after you bring your baby home. And it's all the medical knowledge that you need, uh, along with a companion guide that really helps you go through this journey, because it really is a journey. And finally, Rosie, what plans do you have for Mother's Day? You know, my daughter was born on Mother's Day, so is that right? she will be turning one. I know, it's crazy, right? So I plan to celebrate her first birthday with some pink cupcakes and a little bit of pink champagne. Not well, for her. Uh, yeah, not for <laughs> her. Well, ha- happy Mother's Day, Rosie, and happy birthday to your daughter. Thank you so much. Little girls grow, mothers watch them go, then the girls fight. That was Rosie Pope, maternity concierge and the star of Bravo's reality show, Pregnant in Heels. She also has a maternity line and parenting school and fitness studio. You can learn more at rosiepope.com. New York City's home to all kinds of museums, from the Met to the Museum of Sex. But did you know there's a museum in Manhattan dedicated to mothers? Joining me now in the studio is Joy Rose. She's the founder of the museum, the Museum of Motherhood in New York City. Who knew, huh, Joy? Exactly. We needed one. <laughs> Why did we need one? We need one because, uh, well, first of, all, first of all, I'll start with we have marble museums, mustard museums, and car museums. Why we wouldn't have a place that talks about the origins of the human race, I can't figure, but now we do. A friend of mine runs the Sturgis Motorcycle Museum, there so you you're go. right. Although we have aspirations, so we, we want to be a, a real mega museum in Manhattan. How long Built has this museum been around now? We opened the doors September 2011 on Labor Day. Labor Day, get it? Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and so we're only, what, do the math, 20 months old or something? So the space has, uh, we're in a former Gymboree location. Very appropriate. Uh, yep. Well, we've got some Gymboree equipment there. In fact, we, we have an open play space for community people to use, or, uh, and sometimes tourists. We've had travelers from Spain and Angola and uh, you name it, Mexico. Um, but it's a startup project. It's a legacy project. And it's the idea that why shouldn't we know more about every aspect of family around the globe, political, social, the construct of family, the construct of motherhood, arts, you name it. We, we want to explore it and we want to exhibit it. How did the idea for the Museum of Motherhood come about? <laughs> well, I saw a need that needed to be filled. And as a, as a mother of four kids, I was curious why there wasn't more information out there for me, both when I started my family and then as I went through the motherhood journey, 
which was so fascinating. Both, you know, I want to include the male and the female perspective because mother work can be gender neutral work, really. Birthing can't be yet. Not yet. Not yet. (laughs) But that's one of the things we talk about is since the beginning of time, all of us got here one way through Spaceship Mom. We all have a mom. We all have a mom. If we're here on Earth, if we were born, we have a mom. We ha- Right. So what has that journey looked like? Because up until today, pretty much women, for the most part, have been birthing and raising the future generations. There are exceptions, of course. But generally speaking, that's been the case. So what's that history look like? Mm-hmm. You know, we have, a, we have an 1800s exhibit in the museum of a, of a suffragette sitting room up in Seneca Falls, New York. Um, so we want to tap into a little bit of that, you know, history and, and what that movements look like. We talk about um, the women getting the vote in America. So why is it important to include that in this museum of motherhood? Because it's a muse- it's a museum that talks about some of the history or history of women's journey to the present day. And because we can only cover certain subjects and we can't go all the way back to cavewoman times yet because we don't have the space. We're only 2,500 square feet. Um, But we can touch on some of the more influential movements in the United States that have helped shape who we are and what our families look like today. And certainly the women's movement has been in the last 200 years big. Most people don't know the suffrage that started. That was a that was started in the early 1800s. It was it was a hundred year journey. And I don't know how old I look to you, but not that old, right? Not that old I was all. born only 37 years after women got the right to vote. Is that right? So crazy time. I was going to ask the question, how old are your kids? Yeah, so I've got four kids. In, uh, one just graduated, um, two, three in college. So 18 through 24. Well, you don't look that old. Okay. So there well, you go. Thank you. So um, you asked me how I got my start, which I did get my start, you know, in music and putting a voice to popular culture. I still do the Mama Palooza Festival, which happens in New York City annually at Riverside Park. Now, the Mama Palooza Festival celebrates moms. There are festivals all over. It's women-empowered, mom-branded entertainment, education, and business. So when I started my band, uh, which uh, I wasn't going to say the name of, but I will, when I started Housewives on Prozac, there was no mom branded voice. Now we see mom blogs. We see we've seen a whole rock immersion of mom rockers. There weren't Pink wouldn't have even admitted she had a kid twenty years ago. Um, so saying that we can have a voice and that voice can shift and what does that voice look like once we're doing the family thing, or how do we change and examine that and then put it out there in art? Big part of what we do. What do you think are the biggest misconceptions about motherhood? I've had people say to me, you know, I don't know why you want to try to educate people to think about parenthood before they do it because you can't prepare. But you can't prepare for anything. You don't know what it is to do anything until you do it. And um, so misconception-wise, I think it's just that um, uh, it's, it's a, it, until you actually go through it, you don't know how it's going to transform you. And it is absolutely transformational. But for some reason, we think we can go to a Lamaze class and read a couple books, and we're expert parents. And time and time again, people will say to you, oh, being a, being, a, being a parent, being a mother, being a father, most important thing I've ever done, the best thing I've ever done in my life. And just think you did it with absolutely no training. Could we do a little better than that? That's my question. We should become more educated. I, I am investing with the people that I work with in my advisory board and the interns who are working in the space and the researchers um, in seeing if there isn't a, a, a way to create not just more consciousness around this, but actually more instruction. 
So to that end, with Minnesota State University, we're launching one of, it's the first ever, it's intended to be a graduate level program in the Women and Gender Studies Department um, on, on motherhood. And it will be a degree that you can get as a nurse practitioner, for example, in mother studies. What about the role of mothers who did not give birth? A stepmom, for instance, yeah. who might not have given birth to the child. Are they represented in this Absolutely. museum? Absolutely. Um, I have extremely liberal definitions of, uh, of motherhood. I'm consistently chasing after men in the parks who are pushing strollers saying, hey, you're doing mother work. Come see the museum. But absolutely, those are just different angles of stories. There are mothers who have tried to conceive and carried a baby for a week and then uh, not been able to follow through with their pregnancy. What are they? They're important to talk about. What's their story? I don't know. Let's find out. So we have several areas where we, uh, one of them is called our graffiti wall, where we invite people to share their stories. They can write or draw on the wall, and um, not all stories are happy stories. So they can put their stories there and leave them in the space in the museum. The Museum of Modern Art is known as MoMA. Is the Museum of Motherhood known as MOM? Yes, it is. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) M-O-M. That is our moniker. Yeah. MomMuseum.org. Check it out. Joy Rose is the founder of the Museum of Motherhood in Manhattan. You can learn more at mommuseum.org. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. Happy Mother's Day to all you mothers out there. Remember, past episodes of Cityscape are archived on our website at wfuv.org slash cityscape. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. We hope you do. We're listed on both as WFUV Cityscape. I'm George Bodarki. My thanks to senior producer Marlene Chin and producer Julie Clark. Have a great weekend.